0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hi, welcome everyone in the United States, and around the world. I have to send a special shout-out to Richard Roberts, my dear friend that I love so much, who I first met in South Korea and then went on with him to Japan, and now he's in Brazil. And he is an awesome disability rights leader. So you all know, uh, when the... And when people go to an embassy and say we're looking for an expert on the employment of people with disabilities, they call the State Department, and then I am frequently asked to go. So I've been to Japan, South Korea, Kazakhstan, Indonesia, Panama. Then I did virtual presentations for Nigeria, Tunisia, Libya, uh, and Austria, And just recently, for my friends coming up on the radio, I just did a presentation virtually for Brazil and get ready for a radio show. It's coming your way. But I I just want to say, you know, we have like 17 countries with listeners to this show. Uh, And to every one of you, I always say this, to that one person in Mongolia. You're making a difference, one person. So keep it up. Keep listening. You know, I love all my listeners. I hope you all know that uh, next year is the 20th anniversary of this show, number one, and it is because I have such great Listeners, thank you and thank you for caring about quality of life for people living with disabilities. And I'm very excited to tell you, I just spoke in Berkeley, California at the 50th anniversary of the Center on Independent Living. Oh, my goodness, I got to spend time with my close friend. Judy Human and Tony Quello, But here was one of my favorite things. While I was there, you see, uh, there was a documentary film, and I'm so honored that I was included. But really, the center of all of it was Zona Roberts, Ed Roberts' mother. Now, I know what you're already thinking. How is that possible that his mother could be alive the answer is she's 102 102 and she's sharp as a tack and she is a fireball so i got to spend time with zona roberts and ed's brother mark wow what an honor you know if she had not pushed her son ed roberts who had polio and at one time you know well he is the first person That sued the University of California allowing someone in a wheelchair to go to college. But just think if she had not encouraged him and told him, you know, you can be like, you are like anyone else. Fight the fight, disability rights or civil rights. What would have happened? So I give her so much. Credit, but anyway, so excited to be there, and so excited to be with our guest today. Special shout out, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, how about that story? I bet you love that story about Berkeley, and it was an amazing, amazing thing, Yoshiko. And we did; they did talk about Justin, uh, and I talked about you while we were there, and to my sponsor. Hi Mark, lead sponsor all these years. Hi Mark, thank you. You're such a great company. Um, and you know what Hi Mark does? They hire people. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. Employment. That's why when I spoke in DC at the State Department not long ago, I said, It's national. They had me there for National Disability Employment Awareness Month. I said, stop calling it that. Call it National Disability Employment Month. We've had enough awareness. How about hiring people? And that is what makes... All the Difference. And today, oh my goodness, we have the new Executive Director of National Disability Rights Network, Marlena Salo. Oh, Marlena, it's so great to have you and JJ Rico, the President of the Board of NDRN. Both of you, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Well, wow, it's a great day because we get to talk uh, to the new executive director, who, by the way, just started a few weeks ago um, and is known nationally and is so highly thought of nationally. Uh, so, congratulations. It's so great to have you as the new director of NDRN. You have a very big job. And just think you're the leader now for the country. For NDRN. Oh How about gosh. that for some pressure? <laughs> you are in. <it. laughs> so let's start with your story. I always ask guests to tell their story because – not only in the United States, but around the world. I want people to know you and how you got where you are. So maybe you could share with everyone a little bit about you, like where you grew up and then went on to school and law school. And then what made you decide to become a disability rights advocate? Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be
3: with everyone today. Um, So as indicated, my name is Marlene Sayo, I am a Cuban exile. I came here to the United States in August of 1966 with my mom and my maternal grandparents. Uh, We settled in Washington Heights, New York. Um, And then when middle school started, we relocated to Union City, New Jersey. Um, For those of us uh, from the New York area, Union City is right outside the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, And I got great education and I was able to attend uh, NYU as well as Manhattanville College. Um, And believe it or not, my major was psychobiology with an education concentration. Um, I never thought or never, at that point in time in my life, I didn't see myself uh, becoming a disability rights advocate, but I did become a special education teacher, and my first uh, job as a special ed teacher was with Miami-Dade County Public Schools in Miami, Florida, Um, And while there, I worked closely with many students who had varied disabilities, um, and I saw that they were being funneled into the juvenile justice and even the child welfare system, um, and their needs were not being met. In addition, I was volunteering um, as a guardian ad litem in the juvenile court um, there in Miami, and I also saw that a lot of kids were coming through the system. Um, that had needs for services or uh, educational modifications and um, accommodations that were not being met, not only within the foster care system, but also the juvenile justice system. And that ultimately prompted me to decide to go back to school at the age of 27, to go to law school. And so I attended Florida State University, and I focused on uh, advocating for what I call dually involved youth, which are youth that are going through the child welfare and juvenile justice system who also had special education um, needs uh, and required services or accommodations in the, in the school. And that's what got me started in the disability
1: rights advocacy world. Wow. I want to ask you a question. Um, I, we have a not-for-profit. It's called the Bender Leadership Academy. And what we mm-hmm. do there is prefer, uh, prepare students with, for, to, for the world of work and to deal with bullying. And mm-hmm. you know what I always talk about? I did this on a volunteer basis for 20 years. Then in 2018, we founded... Uh, the not for profit, separate of course from vendor consulting services, and I have found that so many uh, children or, or high school students with disabilities are the bar is lowered, and they go through school, and Mm -hmm. it seems as if they don't learn anything. And then if they have a learning disability, you know, it gets even worse. And then when they graduate, and then something happens in in juvenile court, is this what you see, Marlena? Is that what you see also? Yes, I saw this all of the
3: time. Um, I remain in contact with fellow teachers that are still doing the very important work in the classroom. And, and this, this deficit of uh, education uh, continues for our kids uh, who have an IEP or a 504. Um, and as, as, if I may, I can elaborate. I, I was a science teacher when I taught high school, and I had a VE class, varying exceptionalities class. And so I had kids with multiple levels of, um, need of, um, understanding. And I, my kids scored higher on the standardized biology test for the county in our school than the general biology class. And I was actually called into the office and I was questioned as to how my kids who were in a self-contained varying exceptionalities class could score higher than the quote-unquote general education biology students. Because what? The standard or the expectations are unfortunately lowered
1: on a continuous basis. Oh, that is, yeah. that is outrageous, and I know it's true. Because in these classes, because I'm going to raise the bar, no pity no pity you know they get assignments like preparing for Mm -hmm. a speech whatever it is and if they don't have it i'll say all right why don't you have it You would lose your job what's your reason and do you know in all those years no one has ever like talked back to me and got mad and i believe it's because no one has raised the bar and made them feel as if what you expect me to compete with everyone else as if I'm normal, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's what it seems like. And I see that school to uh, prison pipeline. Why is that, Marlena? Why, why do you think that is? Because someone um, asked me, why are all these kids with disabilities, what are they doing that they all end up going to the juvenile system? And, of course, I gave them all my reasons, but I want to hear what you have to say.
3: Well, it's what we find is that it's not just students with disabilities, but it's also students of color with disabilities. And so, and and nine times out of ten, they're attending schools that have uh, that don't have as many resources as perhaps the uh, other schools that have higher, you know, socioeconomic uh, income within the community at large. Um, you have teachers that are burnt out. You have teachers that don't have um, their para professionals in the classroom to provide the additional support. There is no ability for teachers um, less and less as time goes by to actually focus on the individualized education that is supposed to be delivered to the student. So, when I was in the classroom, I would create five different ex- five different formats of the exam one verbal all the way to one that was very comprehensive requiring like full paragraphs to be written with explanations to be provided for my students, depending on the level that they were at from a comprehension perspective, they knew the material, but perhaps they couldn't express themselves the way that it was needed. But I, I, I made that effort and nine times out of 10, our teachers are now so burnt out and having to deal with so many other things that we're seeing more of an increase of kids being pushed out of the system, but the bottom line is if we don't have understanding for our students, if we don't provide them with the support that they need, if we don't address the needs of the whole child, what, we're, what is going to happen is the teachers are going to say, I don't have time for this, just get them out of here. And if you have school resource officers, they tend to call the school resource officers first and say, I don't have time for this, remove them from my classroom. And, and that starts that passage into the school-to-prison pipeline. That is what I've seen being in the classroom and having advocated against the school-to-prison pipeline.
1: Oh, that is so terrible. Well, we have you now to bring that all to light, Marlena. Um, and the person that's the president and top dog here, <laughs> J.J. Rico, welcome. How about if you share your story and why you became an advocate? And sure, he is no, the president, first, thanks, president for, of the board.
2: <laughs> thanks for having me, Joyce. And I, I just want to kind of share with the audience and with you, I mean, you obviously can see um, Marlene is the right choice for the job. The passion she brings and the energy and the experiences is, is all there. So she made my my job easier and um, as board president you know we 're charged with going out there and finding the next executive director, and we feel that we 've found someone who 's going to lead the organization for for many more years. Um, my story's similar in a way that uh you know my background's from a completely different part of the country i 'm from arizona was raised in Phoenix by um, uh, Chicano parents, who kind of exposed me to activism early on, especially my my mother and, and grandmother, um, telling me stories about their struggle to get education on a basic level, um, being discriminated against based on uh, their background or the the language they spoke and my mom kind of just ingrained it in me that, you know, the opportunities that I was going to have uh, should not be taken for granted. Um, And so they really paved the way for me to to go to school and, and to kind of be that next generation. And so my thought was, to be an activist, and I always thought about law school. I mean, Marlena can tell you, others who, who might know me say, God, that guy doesn't stop talking. And so I think early on, <laughs> probably the teachers wanted me to, to stop talking and stop you know, distracting students. And so a lot of folks told me, hey, you should be a lawyer. And, uh, and so I thought that was a good path to go. Um, so attended the University of Arizona twice over, both as an undergrad and, and a law student, I'm always with the focus of, of representing those that needed access to justice. And I didn't know exactly whether it was going to be disability law, but I do knew that there were communities that needed access to justice, and I got a, an interview and an opportunity to interview with the Protection and Advocacy Agency in Arizona, which is the Arizona Center for Disability Law, almost 21 years ago, um, actually it was, yeah, just over 21 years ago, and I was asked a question during my interview about what experience I had, similar to, to this question, kind of what brings you here, And I, and I really hadn't had you know law school experience but what i had was family experience and exposure that really showed me that there was a needed advocate a needed attorney um, to bring that law and to enforce the rights that you know are on the books the ADA and the rehab act and so I shared the story and I share with with you and, and your listeners that you know at that time I had a grandfather who had a taxia who, who had lost his ability to to walk and to, to speak clearly um, so I was clearly an advocate sometimes on access to basic things like hey going out to to meals to negotiate in a car deal although he he could do it on his own. Uh, he was oftentimes misinterpreted that because the voice wasn't there that the mind also was gone, but that was not the case. But he had prepared me to negotiate car dealers uh, with car dealers early on. I had a father who was a veteran with a disability. Uh, my mother had lost her, um, uh, had acquired a disability and, and no longer was able to work right around the time of this interview. So I shared that and also have an uncle living with schizophrenia who I still am a caregiver for today, and so all of that kind of was wrapped into my answer, and it really highlighted that this was something that I was meant to do, and, I, and I'm really not that person that thinks, oh, all the stars align, but um, that all aligned on that day and, and in that interview and, and like I said we're coming up on 21 years and they haven't get, got rid of me since and I'm happy because I, I continued to be an advocate um, and have grown from the staff attorney kind of focusing on employment law to growing into title II and title uh, two, three ada access focusing a lot on captioning movie theater access things like that um, and then ultimately into the CEO position um, and then being one of 57 PNAs we get to have the opportunity to serve on the board of directors, uh, and I was happy that I was voluntold by uh, the New York director many years ago and, and kind of saw my way through, and, and now I'm lucky enough to be the president at this time during this kind of really, um, you know, momentous occasion to have the next executive director uh, in Marlena. So I'm, I'm really happy that uh, I'm part of the greater P&A network um, and also proud to, to stand next to Marlena in this next step in the disability rights movement.
1: Well, I must say, I can tell you're a good man and a kind Appreciate man. It. So I, uh, I'm not surprised that you are successful. I can tell you're a very giving person. Um, so, Marlena, let's talk about NDRN. For our mm-hmm. listeners that are not familiar with the National Disability Rights Network, which goes by NDRN, uh, what what is the mission? What is the mission? How large is yeah. the organization? And I think something that makes a difference is that you are the only legally-based advocacy organization established by con- Congress to protect the rights of all individuals with disabilities, and what difference does that make? Absolutely. So as you indicated... Uh, NDRN stands for
3: National Disability Rights Network, and uh, we're definitely federally mandated. We're made up of the protection and advocacy system as well as the client assistance program. Um, And both programs assist individuals with disabilities, and we are considered the membership association for these programs, and our mission is to promote the integrity and the capacity of the PNA and CAP National Network, but at the same time, we also advocate for the enactment as well as vigorous enforcement of any and all laws that protect the civil and the human rights of people with disabilities. Right, disability rights, the civil rights, is human rights. Um, our network is uh, nationwide. We actually have a total of fifty-seven PNA agencies, one in every state and all U.S. territories, Um, and as a little background, in the beginning, NDRN aggressively, from the beginning, sorry, NDRN has aggressively uh, sought federal support for advocacy on behalf of people with disabilities, and when we first started out, our focus was really narrow and it was focused on the institutional care provided to people with intellectual disabilities. And we have now expanded and our ongoing advocacy and those of the PA programs include ser- advocacy services for all people with disabilities, um, no matter the type or nature. And so as the only legally based uh, advocacy organization with over 30 years of existence, the forefront is to ensure that we support each and every PNA um, to ensure that they are strong, effective, and ready to continue their critical work. And part of that comes uh, from us providing technical assistance and training um, to ensure that we're providing uh, equal opportunity for all people with disabilities. That we're advocating uh, legally uh, as well as policy-wise for freedom of choice and self-determination. And that everyone's able to live independently in the community of their choice, which is so very important. Um, So we provide the legal training. We provide the policy and advocacy training. We support each and every one of the PNAs that are out there doing the work on the ground, uh, you know, suing at the state level, suing in federal court to make sure that um, all people with disabilities, their rights are protected. Um, and that they have access to live as independently um, as they want and need.
1: Wow. That, that is a powerful organization. And just so everyone understands, could you explain what you mean by protection and advocacy? So we
3: all have rights, right? Um, and so we're, we're going to fight for you legally to protect your rights your civil and human rights, but at the same time, we're also going to advocate um, through, you know, public policy uh, changes, legislative changes, um, educating our elected officials to understand that these rights exist, to understand that these rights should be uh, enforced, um, and to also understand that perhaps we need to expand some of the protections that exist out there separate and apart from just enforcing them. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, of concern um, uh, came to the surface during COVID. It uh, affected our community um, in, a, in a very um, impactful and, and sometimes painful way. Um, and our PNAs were at the forefront throughout COVID uh, to ensure that people had access to health care, that if uh, they had a, a personal assistant with them and they needed to be at the hospital, that the personal assistants were allowed to enter the room with them, um, and that uh, they were not alone, and that they had support there as needed. Um, You know, access to medical care is front and center, especially due to COVID. And we are protecting the right to have access to that medical care, and we're advocating to ensure that that medical care is being provided.
1: You know, uh, Marlena and JJ, I have an employee who is deaf. And she, like only two hours ago, told me the story that she went, before she went to the doctor, she called to let them know she would need a sign language interpreter. Hmm. So when she got there, they said, what? Oh, we don't have one. And her mother, who is not deaf and who does not understand sign language because Pam grew up oral, had to interpret, try to interpret for her and in comes the doctor furious and afterwards he called a meeting with Pam and her mother with the staff and severely chastised them and that's all well and good but Pam still had to go there without an interpreter. So you know it's hard (laughs) enough for any of us to go to a doctor it's like you're so focused cuz you want to hear what he's saying and what he, or she is saying and what she means when she's going over i mean i live with epilepsy so of course i would want to understand what the epileptologist is saying to me now try to do that when you're deaf i mean it, that is just horrible i mean it, what what do you do in that situation Good. It,
2: if I could, oh, the Joyce, then, yeah, no, I'd be happy to share kind of what Arizona does, but I'm sure it's done throughout the PNAs that it's not an uncommon story. So, I mean, unfortunately, obviously, I hear uh, the stories over and over. I was hired to to assist individuals who are deaf and the failure to provide effective communication both in employment and in this setting, Title III. Um, we have a specific grant to deal with that. That's how bad it is, you know, either out here and probably around the country. Um, but PNAs are there. And so to Marlena's point, you know, we're a phone call away from advocacy tips, you know, so that clearly, you know, the people know that no, mom's not supposed to interpret uh, in that situation, that effective communication has to be provided. I mean, the one thing I heard about your story, which we don't often hear about is the doctor knowing that it was the wrong thing and then chastising his employees for making that decision not to provide effective communication in the American Sign Language interpreter. So that, that's a little different story, which that is, is good that the doctor at least knew that was wrong, but you're 100% right that, you know, again, effective communication in a medical setting is, is crucial. I mean, knowing what's happening and what's about to happen, whether that be a procedure, uh, any of that information needs to be effectively communicated. And And so, again, kind of a quick lesson for for the listeners out there, and and I know Marlena probably knows this, and anybody else who knows disability rights knows this, but the um, ADA, um, Title III of the ADA, requires that auxiliary aids and services be provided, and an American Sign Language interpreter is an auxiliary aid. Um, and so someone with a disability who might be deaf and need that should put that request in and that medical provider should provide that. Uh, if they're unable to provide that, they need to provide an explanation um, and also that accommodations at no cost to the the person who's needing the interpreter. And family members should never be used, even if, let's say, mom was completely fluent in ASL. Um, family members are not to be used and that's clear in Department of Justice guidance out there. So just a little lesson out there, but we see that a lot and, uh, and it's unfortunate, but most definitely PNAs handle that on a day-to-day basis. All of our services are free. Um, so yeah, if, if your listeners are curious about, they can go to NDRN's website and find their local PNA um, in their state because they might like, oh, I didn't know there was, there's one in every state and territory, as Marlena said, and it's easy to find and hope folks use that resource.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, and everyone listening, remember, if you're listening, you think, oh, no, I wish my friend or family had heard this. On demand, go to Spotify, VoiceAmerica.com, Apple, benderconsult.com, and you can hear any of the shows and share them, the podcast. Well, speaking of state protection, and advocacy groups. For the past four years, we have had the most phenomenal anchor on the half hour, Um, and we are the only newscast, by the way, that provides weekly news on what is happening in the country that impacts the disability community. And we have a superstar, and her name is Perry Jude Radisic. Welcome to the show. Hey Joyce, thank you. I'm excited about
4: uh, Marlena and uh, JJ's appearance on your show. Thanks for having them. Uh, they do a great job for our network.
1: And so do you, Perry. Thank you. I'm so, honored. I'm so honored to be on that board. And I'm sure you both know that she is a nationally known disability rights leader who is a superstar. So if you didn't know, now you know, but I bet you already knew, right, JJ?
2: Oh, I I've known Perry Jude way back when. I, I maybe when she was just a smaller superstar. Now she's a, a really big superstar. <laughs> so no, <laughs> Perry Jude was my my boss uh, uh, before I was the CEO. Uh, Perry Jude was the executive director of Arizona. So uh, Pennsylvania is lucky to have her. But uh, I'd, I'd like to say she she was at Arizona before the Disability Rights Pennsylvania. So.
1: Well, see, then she knew to come to a good state. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) Okay, Perry, let's hear the news for today. Well, Joyce,
4: we want to talk about election protection. That November election, a general election, is only two weeks away. And this election cycle, we call it the midterm elections. And we call it midterm elections because this election is held near the midpoint of a president's four-year term of office. That's why they're called midterms. Midterm elections are really critical and important because we elect a third of the U.S. Senate, all the members of the U.S. House of Representatives, and statewide offices as well. But, you know, Joyce, we still know there are barriers to voting for people with disabilities, whether it's a voter ID, ID matching, uh, polls that aren't accessible. So to help... A national nonpartisan voter protection coalition led by the Lawyers' Committee for Civil Rights under law, in conjunction with partner agencies across the country, including Disability Rights Pennsylvania, will provide assistance to voters now through Election Day. This includes absolutely comprehensive information and assistance at every stage of voting. So legal volunteers will staff the nonpartisan election protection hotlines live from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern time to answer any questions you have and assist voters. So here's what's important. Advocacy matters. Call or text 866-R-VOTE to get the voting help you need today and on election day. These are trained, nonpartisan volunteers taking calls ready to help you vote they can help you make a plan to vote, make sure you know your rights, and help you resist and overcome any attempts to suppress your vote. Now, here's what's great about election protection. The hotlines are in English, Spanish, Asian languages, and Arabic. You can also text to 866-R-VOTE, or you can go to 866 r and you can send information via the web. You can find uh, uh, phone numbers for all of these um, hotlines. If you go to disabilityrightspa.org, click on today's Advocacy matter segment, or go to 866rvote.org, you can find all of the information there. Joyce, it's so important that we get people out to vote.
1: Okay, I have a question right now. I was talking before you joined about... My employee, Pam, who went to the doctor, and they didn't have a sign language interpreter. Now, what happens to her if she goes to vote and no one understands the question she's asking? You know, when you first go in and you show your card and they look all of that up, then what happens?
4: Yeah, that's a problem. And so to be better prepared, it would be important for her to call the uh, county elections office where she lives, whether it's in Allegheny, Beaver, Westmoreland, wherever she is out in uh, western Pennsylvania, call and, and prepare them and ask them for an accommodation that day to answer questions when she goes in and votes. If she has problems, she can call us at Disability Rights PA or 866-R-VOTE and,
1: uh, or text 866-R-VOTE and, uh, and we're happy to help. That's what I was wanting to know. If someone goes to vote and there's any type of barrier, they can call you. They can call that number Absolutely. and someone will help them. Okay, Absolutely. that's good. That's, that's, that's good to know. Um, and, you know, Perry, it's so important for everyone to get to vote. So I'm going to my next question. What happens to people in uh, skilled nursing? Like, do people go in and help them? What happens? Yes, staff can
4: assist. In fact, there's a law that requires uh, skilled nursing facilities to make sure they're assisting their residents to vote. Uh, And if there aren't enough staff, uh, they can contact us, and we'd be happy to try to get volunteers out there to make sure that someone can assist them to vote or take their ballot to a drop box or take it to the mailbox and mail for the resident.
1: Well, what I love is if there is a place that for any reason is preventing that or not doing that, that at NDRN, you have the ability to just go in without asking for permission. So that's oh, that's yeah. something that I really like. Um, and before Perry goes, Marlena or JJ, do you want to add any comments to uh, making sure the vote is not suppressed? <laughs>
3: Oh, there's so much to say there. Um, I, you know, Perry Jude gave a, a wonderful uh, roadmap of what needs to be done on the day of the midterm, but we also need to start thinking about the presidential election. Yes, I know it's two years away. Um, but if any changes do take place up on uh, in the Capitol and it trickles down to the states in some way or another, we may see vote by mail being, um, you know, pressure being put on not allowing vote by mail to take place or absentee voting to take place, uh, which is so important within our community. Um, And so although that's not technically voter suppression, if if our community is unable to vote from the safety of their own homes, uh, you know, independently uh, and privately, uh, then that in and of itself may ultimately suppress some votes. Um, within our community at large. And so we need to really continue to advocate for and support the ability to continue with vote-by-mail and absentee voting across the U.S. of A.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Perry Jude. And that's the website for everyone. It's disabilityrightspa.org. Click on today's Advocacy
4: Matters segment. It's on our homepage, or go to 866 our VOTE.
1: Thanks, Perry. Thank you so Thanks, much. Joyce. Okay, we have another caller on the line. Uh, Chris, are you on the line? Yep, I'm here. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you?
0: Good. Hey, and hi, Valana and JJ. I'm so, I just want to say congratulations on um, starting. I think you've been there, what, about a week, Valana? A week, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But you know, I'm a big fan of the whole PNA system and NDRN in particular. Um I I wish more people in this country uh did know about the system and how it impacts the lives of people with disabilities and their families throughout the country and I know you can use all those good stories that the PNA's um collect, to advocate for more funding, because that's what's really needed. There's more funding to do more work, because, as you know, you have to turn away a lot of people, um, because you just don't have the resources to help everybody.
1: Absolutely. Hey, JJ, what do you have to say about that?
2: Yeah no hi Chris it's great hearing your voice i would echo what chris says i mean the the power of the network is is vast as we've heard today and we're able to do a lot of great advocacy um but with additional funding we we obviously could do more there's there's plenty of work to be done, um, you know, and the disability movement can can go far. Um, but most definitely, we are we are out there, and a lot of civil rights lawyers trying to make sure we're maintaining and expanding those laws that were created uh, to literally open doors and give access to employment, uh, et cetera. So w- we'll keep doing that great work. But if Congress gives us more money, we most definitely can put it put it to good use and, and making sure that people with disabilities are included in all walks of life and and not excluded. Um, you know, we talked about the pandemic earlier. We learned a lot during during the last couple of years and it really just highlights that there's a long way still to go but the P&As are at the front. The last thing I'll say about the P&As and, and this is what you said Joyce lastly is access you know our access authority is unique and it's unmatched um, you know and so when I'll just describe it real quick so if, if you're experiencing abuse and neglect um, or in a facility an institution in an educational institution you can call your PNA. Um, In your state and territory, and we can literally go on site unannounced and and think about the power that comes with an unannounced visit um, is you get to see the environment in the state that it really is in, not a cleaned up version, which will really give us as advocates uh, a sense of what needs to be fixed. Um, and, and how we can make sure that that's a better learning or living environment, and so that's only unique to the PNA system. You know, there's not a legal aid society that has access authority to, to show up unannounced, and so I, I really want to highlight that for any listener who's thinking, "Hey, what else? What, what differentiates you from from a you know a nonprofit law firm?" And that is really one authority that we have that no one else has out there. Thank Thanks. you.
1: Uh, okay. Go ahead.
3: I just wanted to add that you know, at least when I was, uh, I I followed Chris when she retired from the Massachusetts PNA, and I became the ED in, in Mass. And, and I, what I found that was very striking is we would have other legal services um, wanting to partner with us on certain issues because we had that access authority. So it is something very unique to the PNA system, and that everyone wishes they had.
1: Right.
0: Well, Uh, I just want to say keep up the great work, congratulations, and I look forward to the great things that you two are going to do together um, as president of the board and as the new CEO at NDRN. Thank Thank you, you,
1: Chris. Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yes, and it's an honor for us to be partnered with NDRN at Bender Consulting, Uh, and Chris, of course, is an executive consultant, and what... An honor that is to Bender you know here she is uh, Bush appointee nominated by Senator Edward Kennedy uh, at EEOC and EEOC Commissioner and then through Obama uh, at OPM as the deputy director and just a great person that I've known for a long time Mm -hmm. Um, and and so it's it's great to have her and I just want to get back to what you were saying there for a moment Uh, J.J., I love that. I love how you can just go. I love that because, you know, then, as you said, there's no uh, skilled nursing. There's no trying to make everything look right before you get there or wherever it is, a prison, a school, wherever. And I think that is so powerful. Uh, But I know our listeners would like to know more about NDRN and the history. And it's a shock. But Geraldo Rivera was involved in all of this, and I'm sure many of our listeners are going to say, "What? How'd that happen?" So, why don't you share that history,
2: Marlena? Do you want me to to share? Or do you want to share? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, go go ahead.
2: So, uh, yeah, it's true. Um, Geraldo Rivera, prior to his Fox News days, was an investigative reporter and uh, did some really good work. Um, and we, as a protection and advocacy, and as an entire country, really. Benefited from an investigative report in 1972. So, counting my years, it's about 50-year anniversary of his investigative report at uh, of Willowbrook State School for Children with Intellectual Disabilities. Um, and so, what? Geraldo did was take his cameras in. He, he was allowed in by a doctor. Well, not necessarily allowed in, I guess let in, uh, in a back door. And if you ever have an opportunity, you can still find the report on YouTube. Um, you can Google Willowbrook uh, investigative report and you can see um, Geraldo Rivera looking much younger. Um, he took his cameras into the institution unannounced as we were talking about and really saw horrific living conditions for these individuals with uh, intellectual disabilities. I mean, the the scenes from the the report uh, and, and from his cameras uh, just were were awful. I mean, no one should live in an institution. Period. Um, let alone live in an institution in, in in this condition and squalor. And people were were malnourished. People looked, you know, were not clothed. Um, and the impact of that, I think, not only captured the audience's attention, um, but it it had got national recognition. There's interviews with um, Robert F. Kennedy following that, um, obviously calling for reform, uh, improvements, uh, and I think that That report and that work got all the way up to Congress and ultimately led to the passage of protection and advocacy laws. So most of our funding, if if you look at our websites, you'll see all of our funding streams and they all start protection and advocacy. And the first one, protection and advocacy for individuals with developmental disabilities. Which allowed us to have this access authority that we spoke about, allowed us to advocate for individuals with varying disabilities. As the years went by, those P&A laws were expanded to to more than individuals with developmental disabilities. So. Um, we do owe a lot to Geraldo Rivera and his investigative report. Uh, there's even a video out there where he was interviewed talking about the anniversary of of Willowbrook and its impact uh, in you know on the P&A system. Um, but that's a little a little history lesson, taking us back to all the way back to 1972. Um, and the one thing that I'd like to announce is Willowbrook did close its doors at the end of 1987. Um, so you know, again, those are those are things that we like to celebrate because we do want folks living in the community uh, in the place of their choosing uh, so they can live their fullest life and and to their their potential. So that's uh, my version of of the history that I know and that I've been taught and that I've watched. uh, Marlena um, or Joyce, feel free to add.
1: No,
3: I I think
1: you've covered it. (laughs) Go ahead, Joyce. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say I hope when you hear how terrible it was, That, you know, if you're in skilled nursing or anywhere, sadly, one of the few, some of the institutions still going, if you, if you know of anything, you've got to call your protection and advocacy because they can really do something. And, you know, if you let these things go, oh my God, who knows what's going to happen. So
3: please,
1: Mm -hmm. uh, ndrn.org, I think if you go there, you probably have a list of all the, by each state is that how it is yes Marlena? The bottom, you can yes
3: that is how it is you can go to the bottom of the screen and you'll see uh you can click to get the list of states of the pnas in every state
1: well i have a, a question as you both know i started bender consulting services in 1995 a for-profit company to focus on the employment of people with disabilities. And if you had told me in 1995 that today, in 2022, 70% of people with disabilities would still not be counted in the workforce with double the unemployment rate, I would not have believed it was possible. I mean, how has that needle not moved, you know, in the ADA? So... Um, this is my crusade, but as I told Judy Eumann, and, and she asked me, why do you think this is? I said, well, it's soon getting beyond stigma and pity. It's getting to what I call discounting disability. In other words, not even seeing it. Not, not, not even a total discount, not even noticing. But I'd like to know your opinion uh, with your great background. What what do you think?
3: Oh, if I may, JJ, I'm going to jump in here because I have to no, put my for teacher it. hat on. <laughs> I, I really have to put my teacher hat on, and I think that we are doing a disservice for all of our students that come through the, the public, you know, the school system. And we're not preparing them for the transition piece. Um, you know, it, it, I don't think we we're We're lowering the expectations of our students who have an IEP or a Section 504 plan, and then we're not abiding by IDEA by making sure that we have a robust transition plan for them and preparing them to graduate from high school and ultimately enter the workforce. I don't think we're doing a good job across the United States, and that is adding to the problem. And, but also we, uh, what I see in general from an HR perspective, talking to small, middle and large companies is like this misunderstanding of what it means for someone to have a disability and whether they can do the job, quote unquote. And, you know, having a disability is not a disqualifier. It is not a disqualifier. And we're seeing, I mean, I I think we're getting a peep into the issues right now with the upcoming uh, gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania, right, um, and the comments that are being made um, as it applies to, to John Fetterman. And so it's like we need to stop and, and realize that uh, sooner or later we're all going to enter um, into a world where we have a disability and, and we are going to need an accommodation or, you know, improved accessibility, and that is not a disqualifier to be able to do the job. And, and, and if that's one of my, um, my goals uh, is to really be the voice out there, to let folks know um, that uh, having a disability does not disqualify you. It's not expensive to hire someone with a disability, contrary to uh, the belief of some companies. Um, and just because you need to give someone an accommodation does not mean that they can't do the job. JJ,
1: did you want to add anything to that?
2: No, I, I would echo everything Marlena said I think it does, you know, education is the foundation which, you know, we build upon and and again if our education system is failing our, our children with disabilities then that pathway to employment is is a challenge, you know and often the pathway is to, to prison as we talked about with the school to prison pipeline so that's the first thing that has to happen and then second of all I think Marlena said it perfect, I mean employers have to stop visualizing people with disabilities as not able to work and see them as contributing members to their 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 employment, their business, Um, the retention rates of an employee with a disability are higher. Uh, They're they're an untapped market, you know, an untapped group of individuals who is ready to work. Uh, We just have to make sure that there's inclusive practices from from the outset. Um, So I I think Marlena said it perfect. And, you know, again, I think it should be all of our crusades. I really appreciate how you want to relabel the the month. You know, it's not just an awareness month. It should really be an employment, you know, month Mm -hmm. where we're expanding, you know, those individuals and giving them opportunities to, to be employed, gainfully employed, and I want to celebrate the future of the elimination also of sub-minimum wage because that is an mm-hmm. archaic way of thinking to pay someone less than a livable wage, and I'm happy to see that that's on its way out. And so, again, we, we have work to do, but we're we're going in the right direction, um, but again, the p and the disability movement has to push that needle forward.
1: I agree. Well, we're to the end of the show. We only have a couple minutes, but before we end, I always ask this question, and that is, who was your role model, Marlena? My
3: abuelita. um, She passed away at the age of 92, uh, third grade education, came to the United States, had disabilities, physical disabilities, and she never allowed that to stop her, Um, and she, um, she raised me. And she was a role model, and I've inherited some of her uh, physical disabilities, and I continue to push forward because she did so without a complaint.
1: Um, And she will always be my role model. Wow, that is awesome. What a great role model. How about you, JJ?
2: You know, I don't want to copy, but I have to because my grandmother Mm. – didn't quite get to 92, uh, passed away at 91. Um, but story probably very similar. Uh, she had to go through three kindergartens, not because she wasn't capable or smart enough, but just because of this color of her skin and the language she spoke. Um, and from day one that I knew, she was working a full-time job, caring for our family, caring for folks with disabilities before she even knew they were people with disabilities um, and paid the way for me. I mean, again, I, I wouldn't have the house that I live in if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't have the degrees that I have if it wasn't for her. Um, and so every day I don't take a moment for granted because I know that my path that I traveled was so much smoother because of the hard work and tears and blood that she shed for not only me, but for our entire family. And so each day that I do what I do and love to do, uh, is in in tribute to her. Um, and so I, I miss her. Um, You know, to to no end, I would die just to hear her voice again, tell me that she loves me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the motivation is there uh, to make the world a better place. And she was a much better person than even I am. And and that's always kind of my goal, because people say, you know, who who do you want to emulate? And I fall awfully short of her every day. But if I'm trying, I know I'm going to end up a pretty good person if if I try to to be and live the life that she she lived. So thank you for that question, because I think it's really impactful for people to reflect on that.
1: Oh, that is Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, listen, we're at the end of the show. Thank you both for being with us today. I know I'm going to have to have you back on next year. Uh, Everyone share this show. We have a quote at the end of every show. And today it is, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor, said desmond tutu this is joy Bender, america's voice where disability matters at voice america.com see you next week and talk with ted kennedy jr in the words of mary brocker choose joy